Good afternoon, Memorial Baptist friends and family, and welcome back to our midweek edition of our podcast for November 18th, 2020. By the way, there are only five more weekends until Christmas. I hope that each of you are having a great week. You know, I heard this past week from Lori Deaver, our ministry assistant, that our Memorial family exceeded our Mary Hill Davis offering goal. Yay! We had a goal of $4,020, and we received $4,055 total. So praise the Lord that we could raise a great offering for Texas Baptist Missions. Now, Sunday mornings at Memorial just keep getting better and better. We had a great time on Sunday morning this week with Brother Jeff Watts preaching for us a great message from Luke chapter 10 and the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know, in this passage, Brother Watts uh, answered the question, who is my neighbor? As well as pointing out the likely framework behind that question of what is the bare minimum that I must do? You know, a very challenging message from our Memorial Baptist Church youth pastor. Very good stuff, Brother Jeff. Thank you. Our worship team also gave us a gift as they led us into the throne room of God with spirit-inspired worship. I want to say a special thank you to all of our gifted servants who give of their time, their <clears throat> excuse me, their talents <clears throat> and treasure each week to see that we are ready uh, to hear God's word. Thank you to our Sunday morning leaders who facilitate Bible studies in all of our classes. You know, y'all are the salt of the earth, and I just want to thank you for doing that. My wife Tracy and I were out of town last weekend traveling to Floydata, Texas. Uh, to worship with our son Nathan and his sweet wife Ashley and their two beautiful children, Raylan and Nash. And of course, I'm a little biased towards our precious grandchildren, but they are magnificent. Uh, We worshiped at First Baptist Church Floydata, where Nathan and Ashley uh, are both on staff there. He serves as their associate pastor for youth and discipleship, and Ashley serves as their worship leader. Nathan He preached a great sermon from 1 Corinthians 5. Ashley did an amazing and stellar job leading the congregation in worship. Being able to squeeze and love on Raylan and Nash was the real purpose of our visit, but spending time with their parents was very refreshing and renewing for both of us. So I actually heard two fantastic sermons last Sunday by two young ministers who are being equipped to lead this next generation. Both of these young men boldly and unashamedly delivered challenging messages. They were both filled with uh, speaking the truth in love. And it gives me hope and it gives me confidence in our next generation of preachers to know that there are still young men willing to stand up and to speak God's word from the pulpit without watering it down or shirking the responsibility of proclaiming His truth. So way to go, guys. Way to go, God. You know, if you're not able to worship with us in person, please check out our new and improved live stream on our NBC Temple YouTube channel. Premieres every Sunday morning at 1045 a.m., now, this is a live feed, so you can watch our service online as it's happening. And that's a, that's a great opportunity. Don't forget also, 
Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes are due back post haste. Uh, please bring your shoeboxes filled uh, back to the church with the nine dollars postage, so that we can turn them in for shipment and delivery. And I just want to thank each of you who fill the shoebox for a child. And may God bless you for being a blessing. Also, we're currently receiving deacon nominations for uh, deacon candidates. If you have someone that you would like to nominate, please pick up a nomination form either in the church office or on the table by the entrance to the worship center. Fill it out and turn it back into the church office by November 29th. Nomination forms can also be put into the collection box on Sundays located in the Great Hall. Before we get into our scripture in Hebrews chapter 11, I would like for us to pray together. And I would just ask, would you pray with me as I lead us in prayer? Loving Father, I thank you for this time. Father, what a wonder you are. None of us can even imagine how majestic, how uh, your splendor, Father, how magnificent you are. When we look at the, the, the vastness of the ocean, when we look at the vastness of, the, of outer space and the moon and the stars and all of the galaxies, Father, we are humbled and we feel so insignificant. But yet, Father, you care for us. You love us. Father, I pray that today that you would be with our nation. Oh, Father, how we need you in our lives and in our government and in our nation. I pray, Father, that our leaders would turn to you. Father, that they would cry out to you. Father, that they would turn to you. Lord, I pray that you would bring resolution to this coronavirus. Father, that you would push back the virus, that you would save lives. Uh, Father, that you would just help us as we continue to uh, try to battle against it. But I pray, Father, that you would just um, uh, give us the key that unlocks uh, this virus, Father, that we would be able to Uh, stand against it. Father, I lift up our homebound to you. I pray that you would be with each of them during this time of isolation, during this time of loneliness. I pray, Father, that, that your grace, your mercy would just be with them. Father, that your presence would be with them and they would sense you. Father, I pray for comfort for those who may be hurting. Um, I ask, Father, for healing for those who are are struggling, who are ill, that are um, having issues. I pray for healing, Father. I ask, ask, Father, for comfort for those who are struggling emotionally. God, that you would just be with them in that struggle. Father, I ask that your light would shine into those lives where there is spiritual darkness. Father, I, I lift up our neighbors to you. I ask, Lord Jesus, that they would desire you, that, Father, your Holy Spirit would draw them to you. I pray for the souls of men and women, and, God, that they would acknowledge 
Christ and His sacrifice. Father, that they would desire Your presence with them. Father, I lift up the ministries of Memorial. I pray, Father, that You would be in and through each of those uh, human instruments as we lead those ministries, as we minister to people. I pray, Father, that You would be in and through all of that. And, Father, that we would give glory to You and it would cause others to worship You, Father, when they see our good works, when they see uh, the love that we have for our Lord Jesus, Father, that they would want to follow Him as well. I lift up our Memorial Baptist Church staff to You. I pray, Father, that You would be with us as we um, continue to minister to people as we continue to um, ride out this this coronavirus, COVID-19 thing. I pray, Father, that you would help us, give us wisdom uh, on on how to uh, keep from getting people sick. Father, that you you would show us your desire. Father, I want to lift up our ministry budget to you for next year. I know, God, that, that you have put things on our heart. Um, you've, you've asked us to take bold steps of faith and father, apart from you, we can't do it. So God, I ask that you would show yourself mighty, that you would provide for the needs. Father, you have been so, such a blessing to us this year. And even in the midst of a pandemic, father, you've taken care of our needs. And so father, I just want to give you thanks for that. I want to Thank you for the healing that takes place every day uh, in and among our people. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for uh, asking us to partner with you in your kingdom work. And Father, I, I pray that you would just give us some fruit in our labors. Father, that you would encourage us. Father, that as we all seek to be servants, Father, that you would help us in every way. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for being our God. Lord Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Holy Spirit, thank you for indwelling this temporary tent, this jar of clay. And thank you for guiding me as we walk through life. Father, thank you so much for all that you do every single day. Thank you for every meal we've eaten. Thank you for the smile and the the warm touch of a, of a, a friend. Father, thank you for our relationships. Thank you for our families. Thank you for all that you do for us every single day. Father, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we jump back into our uh, study in Hebrews, I want to share something else with you. Um, I came across it this week in some of my study, and I didn't, I didn't come up with this, but I wanted to share it with you. I thought it was good and might be some good food for thought. You know, what's the difference between a servant and a volunteer? A volunteer picks and chooses when and even whether to serve. A servant serves no matter what. A volunteer serves when convenient. A servant serves out of a commitment. Someone said it well, the servant does what he's told when he's told to do it. 
The volunteer does what he wants to do when he feels like doing it. Jesus didn't recruit volunteers. He calls us to be servants. You know, everyone in our church is a servant. Jesus never asked his followers to give a few hours of their day off. He did call them to give everything for the sake of the kingdom. You know, most church volunteers have to be cornered or coddled or convinced that their participation won't take up too much of their time. The church doesn't need more volunteers who give away their spare time. We need servants whose lives belong to the Lord. As 1 Peter 2.16 challenges us to live as servants of God, we could say it like this, the issue is not whether we will serve, but where we will serve. I think that speaks volumes. Today we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 27, 28, and 29. And uh, we're talking about Moses, and um, we're talking about uh, he, he's grown, he's, he's become the deliverer for the children of Israel. And um, it, it's talking about uh, how by faith he led them out of the land of Egypt and, and uh, out into the wilderness. But um, let's, let's begin there. I want to read uh, these three verses and then we'll talk about them. Uh, it says, By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land, and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. So I just call your attention to the durability of faith. In, in, in verse 27 it says, By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. See, this refers to the early stages of the Exodus in which Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt. Uh, This does not refer to the second 40 years of Moses' life where he fled in fear from Pharaoh's face to Midian. And um, I know that this period of Moses' life was completely bathed in faith because for 40 years he was basically just sitting on a shelf, uh, if you will, uh, being trained in patience to do a great work for God. You know, I think sometimes it takes more faith to wait on God than it does to actively serve Him. You know, this refers to the exodus out of Egypt and Moses' fearlessness before Pharaoh. Moses faced Pharaoh many times. I want to say at least 10 times to be exact, uh, saying, let my people go. And each time Pharaoh refused and Pharaoh threatened Moses' life, but God was with Moses and God protected him. I mean, Moses had reason to fear, but a powerful Pharaoh, a mighty army, and human threats could not shake him. It says, by faith, by faith he left Egypt. By faith, Moses overcame human fears and God did a mighty work through him. It says, For he endured as seeing him, with a capital H, him who is unseen. Moses was persistent. He never gave up. Each time Moses, excuse me, each time Pharaoh refused to let Israel go, Moses sprung back and commanded that God's word be obeyed. Moses didn't give up. He persevered. He pushed on. 
And when the going got rough, he pushed on even harder because he had faith in the invisible God. See, the real God, whom he could not see, was real to him through the avenue of faith. God is real, even though we cannot see him with our eyes. But by faith, we see him. And by faith, God begins to work supernaturally in each of our experience. Institutions, whether divine or Christian, are are important because God has ordained them. And we are to obey God in them, whether or not we can always figure out what the, the human reasons for doing so are. I mean, Moses and the children of Israel are good examples of this. They are given the ordinance of the Passover, and the orders of God, the command of God, were to be obeyed whether they understood all of God's reasoning or not. Verse 28 says, By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that that he who destroyed the firstborn might not touch them. See, the Passover was the first ordinance given to Israel. The Passover had great significance for Israel, and this ordinance also has great meaning for us as Christians. I mean, if we turn to Exodus chapter 11, we're going to be in Exodus 11, 12, 14, long in there, uh, to get a full impact of the obedience of faith displayed by Moses and even the children of Israel. I want to give you just a little background, if I might, on uh, for the Passover. In, in chapter 11 of Exodus, uh, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, verse 9, Pharaoh will not listen to you so that my wonders will be multiplied in the land of Egypt. And Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, yet the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the sons of Israel go out of his land. See, God commanded Moses to represent him to Pharaoh. Moses to represent God to Pharaoh and to demand the release of God's people, Israel. God's judgment had been poured out on the nation of Egypt, its kings and its people. And God gave Moses signs and miracles intended to serve as credentials, if you will, of Almighty God. But you see, Pharaoh's magicians, they were able to duplicate somehow these signs and miracles. So God sent plagues to frighten the Egyptian Pharaoh. But after nine plagues, a crisis had arrived. Pharaoh hardened his heart and refused to let the children of Israel go. He had become so hardened that he threatened Moses' life. In Exodus 10, verse 28 and 29, it says, Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Beware. Do not see my face again, for in the day that you see my face, you shall die. And Moses said, You are right. I shall never see your face again. See, Moses not only suffered the possibility of death at Pharaoh's hands, but also Moses' reputation was at stake with the nation of Israel. I mean, in nine attempts... Moses had failed to make his promises good to deliver the children of Israel. This seemed like an impossible situation, for the king's heart was hardened, and the people were beginning to complain and and grumble, questioning Moses' ability to, to lead the people. But Moses was patient, and he persisted in obedience, trusting in God to act. He knew that God had a divine solution to the problem. We read about it in Exodus 12. It says, Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, and God revealed to Moses his plan to deliver Israel from Egypt. The plan is referred to as the Passover. 
God often waits until the last minute when the heat is on to reveal his plan to his servants. Sometimes his servants get impatient and make their own plans and it tends to get them into trouble. But this is not the case with Moses. In verse 28 of chapter 11, it says, This month shall be the beginning of months for you and it shall be the first month of the year for you. Speak to the congregation of Israel saying, On the tenth of the month, They are each one to take a lamb from each household. See, Moses kept the Passover, but that means that he not only observed it, but he also instituted it. Each family in Israel was to take a lamb and prepare it for sacrifice. This was to be done on the 10th day of the month of Abib. On the 14th day, a lamb one year old and unblemished was to be sacrificed in the late evening. The blood of the slain lamb was to be placed on the doorposts. The sacrificed lamb was to be eaten by the people and what was not eaten was to be burned. The sacrificed lamb was to be eaten as the Hebrews were getting ready to make a hasty exit early in the morning. Notice that God gave these intricate details of the Passover. This doesn't seem reasonable. For if they're going to leave Egypt, they should not have been bogged down with endless human ritual and ceremony. I mean, humanly speaking, they should have been hurrying to and fro, getting everything ready to go. But this was not God's way. They were to observe the Passover and that very for that very for a very definite reason that only God understood at the time. Now, in Exodus chapter 12, verse 12 and 13, we read this. It says, For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. See, God revealed the ritual of the Passover before He told Moses why the Passover was necessary, because God's commands are always kept, whether or not we understand the reasons for them. See, every firstborn child in the land of Egypt was to be struck dead by God, who used the death angel as his instrument to accomplish the task. This death would come to all the firstborn in Egypt, even those of Israel, if they did not meet God's requirements for being passed over. See, the only sign that God would recognize to have this plague pass over was the sign of the blood. And God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. See, blood was the only condition to escape this plague and nothing else would be acceptable to God. Now, there were consequences for those who did not observe the Passover. In verse 29 of Exodus 12, we read this. Now it came about at midnight that the Lord struck all of the firstborn of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all of the firstborn of cattle. And Pharaoh arose in the night, he and all of his servants and all of the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt for there was no home where there was not someone dead. See, the destroyer, the death angel, struck every home in Egypt that was not covered by the blood. Pharaoh in Egypt probably laughed at Moses when they heard about this 
his tenth and last plague. But understand this, God's word is sure and it's true. The plague of death came to all who were not covered by the blood. It's also interesting that it was the Pharaoh who ordered every newborn son of Israel cast into the Nile some 80 years before. See, God does not forget sin. And His mill wheel, while it sometimes grinds slowly, it grinds completely. You know, we read about something like this in Galatians 6, 7, where it says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Now, let me share just a little bit of a secret here to the Passover in the Exodus in verse 50 of chapter 12 of of Exodus. It says, Then all the sons of Israel did so, and they did just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. And it came to about on that same day that the Lord brought the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. God blessed Moses and Israel because they obeyed God. By faith, they believed the ritual of the Passover, and by faith, they put the Passover into effect. They were persuaded that God would do what He had promised. And the result was a mighty deliverance of some two million people, two million Jews, if you will, out of Egypt. Now, what would have happened to Moses if he had not believed God? He would have failed not only his God, but also his people. Undoubtedly, he would have been removed from leadership in Israel and probably run out of time, maybe hung. But Moses did believe God. He instituted the Passover, and he and Israel observed it. And the result was great blessing for Moses and for the people. See, Moses knew that God had a plan, and he was part of that plan. Moses never gave up, but he persevered in faith, and God finally took the people of God out of Egypt. There was a lot to the Passover that seemed unreasonable, but by faith, Moses obeyed, and the people were blessed. So just as God has revealed, had a revealed will for Moses, He has a revealed will for every true believer, every Christian. See, God has a revealed will, as stated in the Bible, for each one of us, and He desires the very best for us. But if we quit, if we give up, we're disobeying God and we're not in the center of God's revealed will for us. If we're outside of God's revealed will, we're not in the place of God's blessing. See, the secret to being in the center of God's will is found in the words, the two words, by faith. By faith. See, the Jews were told in Exodus 12, 14, that the Passover was to be a permanent ordinance and memorial for them. However, the Passover was merely a type, or I want to say a shadow of Christ. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the Passover. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. The Lamb that was slain. The ordinance of Passover is perpetually 
observed today in the person of Jesus Christ and His work for sin. See, Christ is the perfect Lamb of God who takes away sin. He shed His blood for all who will take it by faith and apply it to the doorpost of their hearts. Christ's shed blood is essential. It's absolutely essential to our salvation. And and Hebrews 9.22 says, And without shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. See, without the blood being applied to one's heart, no one can be saved. Only when God sees that you have been sprinkled and covered by the blood of Christ will He pass over you and release you from the bondage of sin and set your direction towards heaven. See, one of the hardest things to do as a Christian is to wait patiently on God to work out what seems to be a humanly impossible situation. There's a tendency to get impatient and to run ahead of God's revealed plan, taking the matter into our own hands and by our own carnal, fleshly, human reasoning, attempting to solve the problem ourselves. See, impatience is nothing more than a lack of faith in God. And when we run ahead of God, we will experience frustration. We will experience confusion. We will experience unrest and sometimes even tragedy. God allowed Moses and the children of Israel to cross the Red Sea so that we could learn the patience of faith from example. See, the crossing of the Red Sea shows us the the power of real faith in God to work supernatural in overcoming difficulties that seem totally impossible. Israel exercised faith and God honored that faith and did a miracle. And so, so significant was that faith that the covenant people, Israel, made the believers hall of fame. Verse 29 says, By faith they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. So here we have the dilemma of Israel in Exodus chapter 14. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp before Pi-Hahiroth between Migdol and the sea. You shall camp in front of Baal-Zephon, opposite it, by the sea. So just as soon as Moses and Israel left Egypt, God gave them new orders. God turned them from their regular route to have them camp by the Red Sea. This was about six hours away from the original route. About a full day's journey for the nation of Israel of two million people. So why did God change the route? It seems like there's no logical reason, but there was a divine reason. God wanted to test Israel, but He also wanted to judge the Egyptians. This test was absolutely necessary for the growth and maturity of the children of Israel. I mean, humanly speaking, Israel had done a very stupid thing. And when Pharaoh heard it, he thought they were lost. Israel became a sitting duck for Pharaoh and his mighty armies. See, God's plans often seem stupid to the unsaved world. But God has reasons for everything He does. And He, in turn, makes the world look stupid. You know, it says in Scripture, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after them, and I will be honored 
through Pharaoh and all his army and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And they did so. See, at that time, Israel had no understanding of the great test it was to face. They had no idea that this test was designed by God so that all Egypt would know that God is God. Moses was told that God would harden Pharaoh's heart again and he would change his mind and come after them. The whole Red Sea incident was planned by God. He sent Israel to the sea and hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he he could only, the only thing he could do is pursue them. And God purposely brought crisis into the, purposely brings crisis into the true Christian's life to teach us lessons and to show the world the infinite power of God. See, God is somehow behind every crisis in life. See, in spite of the ten plagues that, that, brought, that were brought upon Egypt, Pharaoh forgot and again defied the God of Israel. Pharaoh used only human reason. This would ultimately end, uh, be the end of him. The whole of Pharaoh's cavalry was summoned to do battle against Israel. These were Pharaoh's elite troops, and humanly speaking, There was no way Egypt's army could lose to Israel, who had no weapons of war, no trained soldiers. It was an impossible situation. The Red Sea was to the east, high mountains were to the south and to the west, and the Egyptians were blocking the only way of escape to the north. Israel was in deep trouble. Death was almost certain. Humanly speaking, this was an impossible situation. When Israel saw the Egyptians coming, they became frantic and they panicked. They had their eyes on the circumstances rather than on God who had a perfect plan. Israel doubted and they fell apart at the seams. They had seen God do miracles and get them out of Egypt by the Passover. But in this hour of crisis, they panicked. They they lost sight of God and His promises and His faithfulness. Israel did make some kind of cry to God, but this was the cry of fear of circumstances and not the cry of confidence in God to deliver. You see, some people only cry to God when they're in trouble, and then they wonder why He does not always answer their prayers. This is what Scripture says. Then they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? Oh, doesn't that sound so pathetic? They said, Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is it not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt saying, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Doubt of God turned to murmuring and complaining on the part of Israel. When they felt that God had forsaken them, they took their unbelief out on their leadership. Moses became the object of attack because of the people's unbelief. Moses had done a brilliant job, but unbelieving people are quick to find fault with everything but themselves. See, leadership must always be ready to take criticism from people because nothing is more unlovely 
than God's people out of fellowship. The people's faith had faltered. They digressed spiritually, and but Moses, the leader, was strong in faith. At this point, the people had to learn not only to trust the Lord, but also to trust their leader, Moses. And Moses' task was to convince the people that if, they had, if God had delivered them from the Egyptian bondage, it was not his intention to let them die in the wilderness. See, Moses must have had some second thoughts about his ability to lead the people at this point. But instead of quitting... He became strong in faith and put a tremendous challenge before the people. Instead of surrendering to the criticism of disobedient men and women, he rose to the occasion and believed God for the impossible. It says, but Moses said to the people, do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation, the deliverance of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Oh, we need to hear that. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. See, if the Israelites were to see God work supernaturally for them, they had to stop fearing for all the fear, all fear is, is a failure to trust God. They also had to stand by, steadfast and still. That is, they were to wait on God, use no fleshly human means to solve this problem, but they were to trust completely in God. They were not only to fear not and to stand by, but they were also to see the salvation or deliverance of the Lord. The command to see means to anticipate. That is, they were to anxiously expect God to work supernaturally for them. Unless they expected God to act, He would not act. The lesson that Israel had to learn was that the Lord would fight for them and that that battle ultimately belonged to the Lord. Do you understand that the Lord will fight for you in your problems? Are you convinced that God can and will work supernaturally for you as a follower of Jesus Christ? Have you learned the lesson of patience so that you wait upon the Lord to give you the answer or leading concerning your problem? It is possible to run ahead of God and take matters into your own hands. But you see, faith trusts God to work out the problem according to His perfect will. Exodus 14, verse 15 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. So Moses was apparently praying silently to the Lord when God told him to to have Israel move forward. And when Israel had stood still, expecting God to act, God gave the commandment to go forward. The children of Israel had to claim the promise of God and move See, what I want you to hear is this. Faith always results in activity. True belief ends up in obedience. If Israel had not moved by faith in obedience, the Red Sea would have never opened up. But you see, Moses also had the responsibility of raising the staff. And if he failed to do that act by faith, the sea would have not opened up either. 
Verse 21 says, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land so the waters were divided. See, God performed a mighty miracle, and Israel went across the Red Sea. But God performed this miracle in response to their faith. We can be sure that if the people had not believed and obeyed, the waters would not have rolled back. Verse 22 says, And the sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Israel moved forward towards the Red Sea. It is even possible that the first ranks had to step forward before the waters divided. Their movement forward in faith was necessary before God acted on their behalf. But the Israelites went across on dry land. Oh, there should have been hundreds of feet of silt, but it was dry land. See, when God does a miracle, He does it right. When the Egyptians went into the corridor across the Red Sea, They were at first on dry ground, but when the ground began to moisten and their chariot wheels began to swerve and their cavalry bogged down right in the middle of the Red Sea, the Egyptians realized immediately that God was with Israel and fighting against Egypt. See, it says that Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea in obedience to God's command And then the sea closed up. And consequently, all of the Egyptians were destroyed. Pharaoh's best cavalry drowned and their bodies washed up on the shore. What seemed to be an easy victory for Pharaoh and Egypt ended up a total disaster. Because God was for Israel and because God was against Egypt. Israel believed in the one true God. And Egypt rejected him. God only works for true believers. See, that day there was a great victory for God. It was also a great victory for faith and for Moses. Israel would have never crossed the Red Sea unless Moses had had the patience of faith. See, the people identified themselves with Moses, their leader and God through his leadership, then took them across the Red Sea. See, God, through good leadership, delivered Israel from what seemed to be a humanly impossible situation. But this mighty victory caused the people to reverence God, to believe God more, and to follow Moses, their leader. Man, I just love God's Word. I'm so thankful uh, for you tuning in today. Um, There's so much here. I'm just so thankful for God's Word. We will continue our study next week in Hebrews uh, chapter 11. And so until then, I just hope that you stay safe. Uh, Enjoy God's creation. Enjoy this beautiful weather that we're having right now. See, our God is an awesome God, and He's worthy of our praise. I hope to see each one of you very soon. This is Ridge Adams from Memorial Baptist Church in Temple, Texas. And may God bless you as you continue to seek His face.